Hello, and welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen. My name is Wilson. I'm Charles. And I'm Crossman. So, Charles, what is Movies Charles Hasn't Seen? Sure. Uh, this is a show where, well, I was pretty behind on movies a little while ago, mm -hmm. so this is a show to get me caught up to speed on the cultural lexicon of movies, and it's done a great job so far. But there's still a long way to go. 104 movies in. Yeah. We've, we've kind of done, made some progress, We've, we've I done think. a little bit. Yeah. We've, we've chipped the surface. Okay, great. Um, and we pick a movie each week uh, that we want to share with each other that we enjoy and that we like. And this week it was Crossman's turn to share Ocean's Eleven with us. The old 1960 one, not the new Clooney one. And Crossman, tell us about Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, the, in terms of like the structure of the movie, it follows a sort of like classic heist structure where they uh, there's a group of guys. Um, it's essentially the, the core is Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. Right with a bunch of other supporting folks. Well, Sinatra, as uh, Danny Ocean, has an idea to how to rob all the casinos on the um, Vegas Strip. Mm -hmm. They hatched this plan. Um, it, it, it sort of revolves around having this master electrician who can overload each casino's... Uh, cross the wires. Yeah. Boxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he can affect the wiring in the casino such that when the power goes out, when their generator kicks on, it causes all their cages to open up, and then if they're there at the right moment, they can steal all the money. It also hinges around the fact that this group was a unit in World War II, and this is what, like where their relationship develops. So this uh, happens on New Year's Eve. The plan sort of like goes goes off as as expected mm -hmm. one of the the electrician uh, unexpectedly dies after after they've completed the heist right and this uh, leads to a number of issues <laughs> in that <laughs> it eventually like leads to them getting discovered as like being a part of this uh, military unit which kind of like uh, unmasks one of the guys one of the guys in the group which yeah. leads to like the scheme being unmasked and then they accidentally burn all the money except for the ten thousand dollars they give to the widow yeah <laughs> yeah it because they, they they um they try and sneak the money out of las vegas in their compatriots coffin but his widow instead chooses to cremate the coffin and all the money gets burned Right. <laughs> that part I didn't fully grasp, so maybe we can talk about that at some point. <laughs> sure. Um, but, uh, Charles, what do you think of this one? Uh, I don't think I enjoyed this one that much. I I don't know. It it just, I couldn't get into it. I, I like, this kind of movie, you need to center it around, like, two strong leads. And I thought that, like, you have, like, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, that they'd be huge personalities and all you that. You would think. But, <laughs> but... Frank Sinatra was just like super wooden the whole movie. He had like no personality at all. He didn't so. sing nearly enough. Like you make a Frank yeah. Sinatra movie and don't have him sing. Dean Martin though, any chance he to sang sing several yeah. times. He sang yeah. the same song like five times. <laughs> yes. um, but like, yes. Yeah, so none of the personalities were that interesting, and so I don't feel like I care that much. Like there's there's not really much good reason set up for them wanting the money. Um, and so I don't really care so much if they succeed or not, right? And like, you know, the heist is kind of clever and it was nice. Just felt kind of bored. So I remember this movie fairly positively. Me too, but I also watched it when I was like 10. <laughs> I, I watched it more recently than that, but this this was not a positive movie viewing experience. <laughs> well, oh, it's gonna uh, be a fun uh, show. There, yeah. this, <laughs> There's, there's a number of like obvious issues with the film. Something um, most, I, th I think, top three are. Uh, it's really racist and well, sexist. It's, the it was nineteen sixty. But even like for the sixties, like even for the sixties, we watched the apartment, which came out the was made the like, concurrently with this yeah. movie, and and the woman from the apartment's in this. Yeah, and briefly. she was yeah. Shirley yeah, MacLaine yeah. did her cameo while she was filming the apartment, so they yeah. were made at the same That's time. That's why she had the same haircut. Yeah, everything. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry, go ahead. That, that uh, is a problem. Racist and sexist uh, is really boring. Yes. Yeah. Like, uh, really, really boring. Um, and then you have a cast of characters where, um, other than like Sammy, Sammy Davis Jr. and like one of the other like minor characters, it's very hard to track who's who because it's a bunch of like middle aged white guys that look yeah. and sound the same. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that was one of my biggest. Well, not biggest, but like that was a complaint I had. I, I just had the problem of it being was, unable to differentiate any of them. They're all just 
like middle-aged white dude. That, that might be like the aging of the film too, though, where these would have been like very famous, like obviously very famous. Right, like everyone's going to know who Joey Bishop is in 1960. Everyone's going to yeah. know who Pete Lawford is in 1960, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess like these days we put like Chris Pratt and Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth in the same movie. Right. We can tell yeah. them all apart, but <laughs> maybe in 60 years they we, we won't know. Yeah, because there's a lot of famous... Folks in this film, like even Cesar Romero plays yeah. like a small part. Um, Angie Dickinson is an scene. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, and like Henry Silva, like these are all like famous actors, and mm-hmm. I think contemporary to the film, we would have been able to identify them. They were not differentiated well as characters. I'm not convinced like, they all have names. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they might not really, but and they also all just wear suits. It's a very generic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we can compare it with the Ocean's Eleven remake, which I only barely remember, I'll admit. But, like, that had a much more diverse cast and people from different backgrounds. So they would at least dress differently and things like that. Different actual personalities, for one. Yeah, I've seen Clooney's Eleven many, many times because when I worked at the movie rental store in high school, that was one of the movies I played a lot because it was PG-13. There was yeah, nothing yeah. crazy about it and I was just like, yeah, it was a good movie. Oh, so you just have it running on the screens. So I had, like, I, that was one of my go-tos because yeah. we got to pick the movie. It's, it's one of the least offensive films right. of, like, all time. It's like, so this is, yeah. like, a good, solid movie. You can come in and out of great. So I, like, played it a lot. So I've seen that movie a lot of times and so I had what that movie does well to compare against this one. And I was just, like, running it through my head the entire viewing experience here and I was like, this is so much worse. Like, there's so much that... Clooney movie does well, but so this movie misses. We we noted on our watch that um, they don't even start talking about the heist itself. No, it's at minute 52 okay. in the movie. Like, the plan is finally described at minute 52 in this film. Oh, my God. And we don't get to Vegas until minute one hour and two minutes, like, Right, and it's in. supposed to be, like, the Vegas movie. Yeah. yeah it's insane. Like, they yeah. literally could have cut out the first, what, Probably 45 or 30 minutes of this movie and changed very yeah. little. It was a bunch of boring and consequential <sighs> conversations. Yes. And yes. they had no personality to make these conversations interesting. So it was just like generic talk. Right. I get, like, I think what they were trying to do with that first half of the movie was like explain who these guys are so that when they come together and have this plan, like we're supposed to yeah. know something about them. But what they, they should have done is introduce the plan first so we have this driving drama as we're learning about who these people are. And what they ended up with is essentially like anti-drama. Like it was yeah. playing against conflict. So it was and like, when is something going to happen? Right, exactly. Well, there's all this like melodrama with the um, the electrician where like he's been estranged from his son. Right. And then it turns out he has... He's sick with something. Tuberc- I guess it's tuberculosis. But doesn't he die of a heart attack? Yeah, but like anything cardiovascular could like if your lungs are really bad, it could cause a. Okay, I thought it was cancer, but it, I thought I heard, they I thought never I heard reference to cancer, but I don't know. <laughs> they, right. they never really say so. Like, right, exactly. They, they they show an X-ray, but like, and that's like his son shows up in one scene, and like his wife shows up in one scene. Same thing with Angie Dickinson, Dickinson and Sinatra. Yeah, yeah. they're like for two conversations. Yeah, and. It's like what? Which they never come back to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they never come back to that because they set it up that like Danny's like estranged. Sinatra's character is like estranged from mm-hmm. his wife. Unclear if they're divorced or not. Assuming they're not because it's 1960. Right. Um, <laughs> Something. But they they have this like kind of like heart to heart conversation. It's and like then setting up a conflict for these two, and then they just yeah, it's like it. oh maybe yeah. they like they get back together and like somehow during the film but no she like never even comes within 100 miles of Vegas right speaking of setting up conflict and doing nothing with it they have that thing where Frank Sinatra's character like propositions a woman at the casino and the woman's like I'm not dealing with this shit and calls his wife I think is what happened oh yeah that's right and then she's like oh okay so he's in Vegas (laughs) and he's still up to his old tricks but like that didn't lead anywhere it didn't like lead to any discovery about their operation you you know what it reminded me of like that and like this guy having cancer or tuberculosis or a heart attack out of nowhere it reminded me of the bit in the room where where the woman just says that she has cancer out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Only it's happening like in a I major definitely studio. have cancer. <laughs> like that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Oh my god. It's, like, it's definitely that. Like, yeah. And I was like, well, does he? Okay. Are they? Because they're just like introducing 
things without any thought around like why like what character it builds right it's just like or like how they or in lieu of building character yeah it's like here are these like melodramatic moments that we're supposed to like care about um whereas you compare it to the remake and you have brad pitt and george clooney both have a history with the julia roberts character and like that love triangle kind of plays out throughout the movie and you see her coming in and out of each of their lives and how they're each vying for her attention and how that conflicts with the dynamics within the group. And it's like, oh, look at it. It's drama. Look at it. Yeah. It's storytelling. Or there's yeah. these sort of like quirky character moments for the like minor characters. Like there's the like demolition brothers who are like in yeah. competition with each other. And, yeah. like, um, right. Or like Don Cheadle has a weird accent. Yeah. Movie, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, fine. Like there's a thing. There's something with this guy um, that we can on to. And the... the um, the smaller actor is able to like contort his body. He's also like, right? They they, yeah. they define the roles. And it, yeah, and then they're funny. The way that they're introduced. If is I funny. remember yeah. the movie correctly, I remember yeah. the dialogue was much like snappier and wittier. Yes, and so it was much more enjoyable to hear because there was like kind of a playful rhythm to it. Right. If I remember correctly. Yeah, there was because that's where that great bit where they're like blocking the camera and like distracting the security guards. Yeah. And they like pretend to b- bump into one another and yeah. it's like, hey, who's talking to you, pal? Don't call me my pal, friend. I'm not your friend, pal. Like that <laughs> is whole that thing. from that? That's from okay. that that is from the, the remake of Ocean's Eleven. And it's so memorable and it's so good. And like this movie has zero of that. Um there's also um Brad Pitt's character is like he's eating in every scene. Yeah. Okay, right. and, I remember yeah. that. And it's just like Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like that without doing like without saying anything is like funny and like helps identify like this character. Right. Other right. than the fact that it's like Brad Pitt, but <laughs> this like this movie's version of that is Dean Martin refusing to go along with the plan for like literally a minute and yeah. then doing it and that never comes. Oh, we again. almost had tension. Oh <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh never mind, she'll do it. Yeah. It's like that that's how this functions. What what it felt well, like. Go ahead, sorry. Uh Thank God Sammy Davis Jr. is in this film because yeah. he like immediately separates himself from the cast because uh, he's so talented. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. he's a way better actor. Yes. Uh, he seems like much more comfortable in front of the camera. And when he sings, it's like, holy, holy shit. Yeah. Like this is a yeah. an outstanding talent. Uh, Clearly. And, and he just knocks it out. Like in the few scenes that he's in, he's just like, it's downing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And where it, it's it, like, it feels incongruous. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it <laughs> like the only characters that really resonated with me were Sammy Davis Jr.'s and Cesar Romero's character. They're yeah. the only ones that actually had personality and were having fun with it. They're, they're the only ones that are acting in the film. Yeah. Right. But yeah. the problem is that the, the Cesar Romero played like the guy that's investigating them, right? That yeah. Was like, right. Yeah. Like his story didn't make any damn sense. <laughs> like that was Right. That, that didn't lead to anything. But <laughs> right. like, no, when but he was like, on screen, it was fun right, to see what good. he was doing. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's like compelling. Right, uh, he's got this kind of like cockiness about him. No, he's really yeah, he on. was good yeah. here. It's just I wish he had like material that was coherent. That was really weird. Yeah, because like he investigates it and he figures it all out. He he like, kind of gets lucky and he figures out the whole thing and it happens to be right somehow. Yeah, and then he like swaggers into the cemetery or the the <laughs> the ceremony at the end, the funeral at yeah. the end, and like just disappears. Right. I, with yeah. the money all like vaporized, like, and somehow he knows that's what they were doing. It's also like implied that he's like a made man and like, right, uh, like he's yeah. made up with like a mafioso and like, yeah, he has connections with people or whatever. Yeah, um, and you know, okay, fine, but the, like, you compare that again to Clooney's Eleven and like they establish the villain as like the guy that runs these casinos right away and like he has a relationship with the characters and he like is in the whole movie and like doing things the whole movie and there's like this sinister intimidating aspect to him mm-hmm. whereas this movie just doesn't have a villain well, it's yeah, the last yeah. Third. I mean the, the the casino owners have a board meeting isn't that compelling <laughs> yeah. to watch yeah. and like you want to see like the casino owner in the new Ocean's Eleven like get owned because he's like kind of a dick <laughs> which is what happens and, <laughs> and, and, and it's it, and it yeah it pays off really well right like who, who yeah, played but, him in the remake um it was um shit i'll, I'll remember eventually but okay. yeah like it it was good and but it like it better it better connects the character to um the casino because he's the owner yeah right yeah, where yeah. we have this like unnecessary like third party in cesar romero's character it's just kind of volunteering and trying yeah. to make some money or something. Yeah, they like shoehorn the in in a way that's like what you were referring to earlier was like, uh, we have to do these like mental gymnastics to figure out like why he's here. Right, and yeah. it's, and it and you end up with like the leads that we've been following for the first 
two acts of this movie just disappearing for like 20 minutes yeah right at the end (laughs) oh okay i guess we're watching a different movie now about like investigating a heist instead of perpetrating the heist which one's a bit of a relief actually because like the main characters weren't doing anything yeah Yeah. it was more interesting yeah yeah so what I, i think what they were going for with this movie is it was supposed to be like a rat pack hangout movie while they're just like having a blast in Vegas, right? And like the movie is supposed to feel like this, we're peering into their high class, you know, high, high paced lives, and like we get to spend some time with them. And like that was Shirley MacLaine's declared reason for doing the, the cameos. Like she just wanted to hang out with the Rat Pack in Vegas for a while. And like the movie is supposed to feel like incidental to that. But I think what we ended up with is a movie that was actually incidental to that, rather than a movie that. <laughs> feels incidental to that. Well, yeah. Apparently... It, it feels like they made this movie accidentally. <laughs> it feels like they're just like, oh yeah, here we are, and we'll stick up some cameras for a while before we can get back to, you know, singing our set at, at the Sands or whatever. Yeah, when I was reading online about this, they, um, someone commented somewhere that, like, if it seems like everybody is drunk or hungover in a scene, <laughs> it's because they were yeah. the entire time. <laughs> of course they yeah. were. <laughs> they were all playing Vegas at this time. Like, these guys were all major singers, and they just had shows at Vegas. Yeah. And they would shoot these scenes after they got done with that. So, so you think the movie so, was made as a kind of a cute meta nod because they're, like, participating I mean, in Vegas, and now they're robbing from it? Yes, yes. I think that is probably accurate, but you still have to actually make a damn movie. Yeah. And they didn't. They just, like, ran some film through a camera. So my, my girlfriend and I, we, we, like, did this movie right. So <laughs> You got drunk. <laughs> no. Well, <laughs> that, that was part of it. Yeah. We, uh, so Sinatra's from Hoboken. Yes. Uh, huh. He's, like, well, no. Like, there's a lot of stuff celebrating Sinatra in, in Hoboken. So we ordered Italian food from Hoboken. Um, and then when we took a break in the mo- middle of the movie <laughs> to eat it, we listened to uh, the like live sets of Sammy Davis Jr. There's like a live recorded concert of Sammy Davis Jr. and Sinatra. Yeah. And th- it is so cringy listening <laughs> really? to. Yeah. There's all, all these like um, very racial jokes in it. Yeah. And oh, it's huh. like clearly like Sammy Davis Jr. is like he's... A real saint to like hang out with these people, yeah, because uh, they're awful to him. <laughs> That's shitty, and right, yeah, I guess not surprising, right? Of course, they're racist, right? Like, of course, they're yeah. Uh, well, yeah. so in 1962, I read online that um, the casinos were still segregated at this time, so Sammy Davis Jr. was not even allowed to stay in these casinos when he was performing there, and it would have been while they were shooting this film too it, in 1959 actually they broke yeah. the color barrier for this movie like Sinatra yeah. approached the hotels and said like I'm Frank Sinatra you have to let my you have to let Sammy Davis Jr. stay here but that and that broke the color barrier at these hotels but nonetheless they're still racist shitheads like that's yeah. unsurprising yeah, it's, and clear it's astounding what Sammy Davis Jr. had to like put up with to do what he does and yeah. he's so talented like to to rise above like his surroundings is is so impressive. Yes, like, yeah, I I concur. Never mind the fact that he's blind uh, and uh, he converted he converted to Judaism too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he led an interesting life. Um, and it's yeah. like had, Joseph, have you have you seen any Frank Sinatra, Rat Pack, or D. Martin movies? Prior we to have this? now. No, <laughs> no? Okay. It, it's a shame that like this is your first exposure because they do have good stuff out there. And Frank Sinatra is in fact a marvelous performer, yeah. right? Like he had he has released. Live albums that probably aren't as cringy and racist as this one with Sammy <laughs> Davis Jr. The, really, yeah, the banter album. was. Oof. Yeah, like We Small Hours of the Morning is a great album, a truly great album. And yeah. so it's a shame that like they phoned it in so much for this movie because they have it in them. Like they yeah. they can do good stuff, and they just didn't. So yeah. what was their deal? Like, do they like perform one at a time in the same show, or do they perform in different casinos or something? They well, at least uh, the concert that I listened to partially, um, it was just like. They would sort of trade back and forth and do songs, and it was like a comedy show, and like they would do okay. jazz standards, and like okay. I'm sure they're making like a ton of money, and like Vegas was like you would go and like you know see a dinner show, and this is like one of those things that you would see. Okay, and they were the ones that like really kind of defined that Vegas model, which still exists today, that it's like an entertainment destination and not just like you just go and like put coins in slot machine. Gamble your money away. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, and the, but the difference here is that at this time, Frank Sinatra is the biggest pop star in the world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like he's, he's gigantic. Like, this is still kind of pre-Elvis or, like, before Elvis really broke out. And he has connections to the mafia. The mafia controls Vegas. So he's, right. like, able to, like, he has a lot of inroads to the casinos. Right. When, I mean, when, was, when was Elvis? I thought Elvis was, like, a 50s yeah, I thought so and too. beyond. Well, yeah, but, like, there was a time when, like, Elvis would overtake Sinatra. Yeah. And, like, this is still, like, Sinatra is. Okay. It's, like, it's, end of the it's 50s, pre, the 60s. it's pre-rock and roll. Breakout, right? Yeah, right. Like Elvis and then Paul by the Beatles. Like yeah. we're close. Yeah. But, like at this point, and when he was playing Vegas, like he's humongous. Like it, yeah. it, would, it would, I don't know who the equivalent star now would be, but it, it would be like if Taylor Swift or something were to start playing shows at Vegas every night. Well, uh, Britney has her uh, uh, her like. Residency. Residency in Vegas. Right, like, it's like the biggest show in the world. Right, like, but it's also yeah. 20 years after Hit Me Baby One More Time, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it'd be like if you did that when that album came out. Right. And, you know, but so it, it is a big deal. And so it's understandable that this movie would kind of be a hit and that people would want to, like, see what it's like for in these guys' lives. Right, mm-hmm. like what that—that's what Shirley MacLaine wanted. That's what the audience wanted, and that's why this movie got funded. It, it is amazing what like nostalgia and time do to movies, though, because like I remembered this movie pretty fondly, mm-hmm. and going through, I watching it this time was like, "What is this? Why is this so boring?" <laughs> yeah. I think I, I even said before we started watching to my girlfriend, like, "Oh, this makes Vegas like look really cool and fun," and like some of the Vegas stuff like looks interesting, but right. it's like it's surprisingly like small in scale compared to like today's Vegas yeah. like the casinos are like one story one. Yeah. and like <laughs> yeah well I mean so much of it is clearly shot on set too like a lot of this was made in that in Hollywood yeah and I, so the set design was pretty mediocre yeah like especially you, you compare it to the apartment which we watched just a couple weeks ago like that looked like New York right yeah. like a lot of that was sets but it looked like the city mm-hmm. and this movie didn't it looked like a soundstage a lot of the time and that is, again, this poor set design, poor production. And it's weird for such a humongous movie with humongous stars in it. Yeah, it was probably yeah. just like whatever sets were like sort of lying around that's, the that's studio. That's what it, it felt like, like. Yeah, we need some <laughs> yeah. like boardroom looking sets. So. Right, and here's like an empty room, right? Like yeah. where they're just going to have a conversation for a while. Although some of the older casinos, if, like if you go in them, they're like pretty drab and like not very exciting and haven't really been updated yeah. since like this. Right, but that's, this. that's, that's not like a good place. This, that this movie is pitching, right? They want they want Vegas to look like big and glamorous and exciting and yeah. full of lights and like that they couldn't really get that as much as I would want them to anyway. Um, yeah. And again, compared to the Clooney movie, it's a bummer, right? And like, we didn't get like a slick gambling scene. You always expect a slick gambling scene, right? Movies, right? And, and they they pitch Danny Ocean as like this like super lucky gambler. <laughs> Like, is addicted to it, right? And he's in Vegas, and he just doesn't gamble. Right, like, he pulls a slot machine once. Yeah, like, <laughs> who does that? That's all Especially we, when yeah. you're addicted to gambling. Yeah, like, what kind of addict it, are you? Yeah. When they're, like, about to execute the scheme, or right as it's starting, doesn't one of the guys <laughs> pull a slot machine, and he, yeah. he wins the jackpot, just, like, walks away, because they're, yeah. like, executing the, the like, scheme. Okay, like that, that's cute. Like, I get it. But, yeah. But still... Um, oh, one other thing I thought was funny uh, in terms of portraying the glamour of Vegas, but when they're counting down for the new year, just start up 20. and it's just a guy standing on stage <laughs> counting down from 20, and I can't imagine how awkward an experience that would feel like, especially today, just to have a guy standing there counting all the way down from right. that far. Like there's a reason we start at 10 now. Yeah. <laughs> Those first 10 seconds. Yeah, but like the funny thing is they go through each casino for their variant of it, and it's the exact same thing. It's just a dude on stage <laughs> counting down. Each one is like thematically different. But, yeah, but it's, but like it's the just same. like some female performers, and they're just standing there. Yeah, and, and I think that's another problem I had with this movie. Like, there were some really peculiar, like, camera positioning choices. <laughs> like, they were they were using this huge wide frame, right? Like, it's it's shot in this yeah. gigantic aspect ratio. But there were a lot of scenes where you, they were like shooting a conversation, and there'd be two guys like in the lower corners of the frame, like one guy standing up. And they would just position it so like they're all in frame, and then there's all this negative space where nothing's going on. And it's like, is there a more awkward and dull way to portray this conversation? Like uh-huh. they they have these this giant film reel, and they just don't use the space for anything. Like there's so much wasted material um, in this movie, and it, it's a shame. It feels it feels like they really did just say stick a camera there and hope that the charisma of Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin would carry the movie. Yeah, I, I think that casinos have, like, kind of learned learn their lesson that, like, 
now the casinos like actively solicit like movies being shot sure. like on location, mm -hmm. like Ocean's the new Ocean's Eleven, mm -hmm. which is a huge um, ad for Vegas. Yeah, right? or, or like yeah. the Pablo Art Mall Cop movie, like it, okay. yeah, the second one. The second right? one <laughs> is just it just just <laughs> just a commercial for the Wing Casino, right? Uh, yeah, so like this is like now I think like the military they've learned that like yeah you should engage with media like this and because mm -hmm. the it'll, it'll, the new one like is very slick and like. And makes things look fun. Yeah, like successful. Just a bunch of friends hanging out, like in Vegas. Right, and that's the so. thing. Like, I it, it felt like these guys were thought hanging out. A movie about hanging out would be just the same thing as actually hanging out. And to make that compelling and to make that good cinema is actually really hard and requires a lot of effort and forethought mm -hmm. and like conscious construction. And they didn't seem to put those two things together. Yeah, which they did in the Clooney movie, right? Or they it, it is really carefully constructed. Like the way that movie is made is clearly thoughtful and made with an audience in mind, and not just like passive viewers in mind. Yeah, and I think the remake was better about highlighting each person's specialities mm -hmm. or specialties. Um, and the the heist itself was a lot more elaborate. And obviously, security technology improved over time. Sure, but it just makes for the movie being a lot more exciting, right? Because they have to do much more elaborate stuff. Like I remember they had the contortionist dude like hide inside a container that would go inside the money mm -hmm. vault, right? And like, that's really cool. And he has to like do gymnastic stuff to not hit the ground because there's like lasers or something like that. That's like and, a like, impossible That's situation. awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. They, they just- And he just, actually did it too. Yeah, yeah, really? Like okay, the, that, that's yeah. super awesome. Yeah, yeah, like the guy like really did that. Yeah, yeah so that's like, that's cool, right? Yeah. And then this, in this one they, I mean, like the the plan is probably pretty clever for the time and all that, but it's just not that interesting from twenty uh, first century right, perspective. Because we don't care about the people doing it. Also, right. that yeah, 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 and um, there was no moment like of excitement, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's not. There's no tension. Like yeah. there's no feeling of danger when they're doing it. It just kind of happens. Well, again, because there's no like clear enemy in this movie, so yeah. like the stakes are not raised to yeah, it's, having a bad guy. Yeah, like, like these guys that look like they have pretty cushy lives will continue to have cushy lives. The one guy yeah. is a... Is, a, <laughs> is it an heir of some fortune? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the only guy who like was vaguely financially strapped dies. <laughs> right, abruptly, out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, it's, right, so okay, let's talk about that guy because why did they feel they had to stick all the money in the coffin to get it to San Francisco? So they, that was unclear to me. It so might be because I actually fell asleep at some point <laughs> while watching this movie. So they, the roads out of Vegas were blocked by the sheriff's department. Okay. Uh, so they needed a way to like get the money out of Vegas. And so they're like, way. let's put it in the coffin, and then we'll it'll end up in San Francisco, and then through whatever plan, we'll dig it up and like we'll have the money at that point. Okay, yeah. that does make sense. Yeah. And I think some of the implication was that because the Cesar Romero character had discovered them, that right. they kind of panicked and decided they needed to, needed to do something like this. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So that kind of shook them out, I guess. Because I think... Yeah, they that was the other part to it. Yeah, Yeah, and because they'd hidden the money somewhere and they knew where it was. And it was in the junkyard. Sammy Davis Jr. had driven it to the junkyard. Yeah, right. so theoretically yeah. they could have just waited until the cops gave up and like driven the money out, right? Yeah. Because yes. they have an indefinite hiding spot for their money. So like, then they, then they panicked. Um, I guess that's what that was. Yeah, I don't know why they folded to Cesar Romero so quickly. Right, like, couldn't they have just They denied? didn't even try to lie for a second. <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell, guys? It's like, <laughs> I mean, we're all from the 82nd, but we're here to hang out because we're buddies and we're, we're like, remembering old times or whatever. totally coherent in Vegas. Yeah, story. and it's like... Yeah, yeah. That, that didn't make any or sense. Or, like, a me. normal heist movie. You could just, like, kill Cesar Romero. <laughs> right, or that. <laughs> yeah, yeah And, like, they're ready to, like, because Cesar Camaro, Romero confronts, like, two or three of them, and they all turn on the other seven or eight like right away. Yeah. Like, They're really shitty friends. Right. Really shitty thieves. Like <laughs> just a, a bad move. So that part, I, I, I was, I mean, I was, had turned against the movie by then, well before that point. But that moment, I was really checked out because it didn't yeah. make any sense. And it was funny that they set up the whole, like, they dropped the $10,000 wrapper thing. Right. Right. And I thought, wow, something's going to happen now, maybe. Like, that that's Actually, awesome. They, they screwed no. up. And <laughs> yeah. then it amounts to nothing because the money gets burned up. Right. Exactly. Like, you think something is, like, coming together and then they just kind of drop it. 
and then the movie ends. Anticlimatically, and then they just kind of dope around outside, and the movie ends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that? I was I was expecting more. Like the, the credits popped up while they're walking along the sidewalk, and I was like, oh, like that that was it. <laughs> I guess I guess that's yeah. the whole thing. And I like. Isn't it, was, it funny that all the money got burned? Right. I don't know what message they were trying to deliver to us there, unless this was a studio note about not rewarding crime, which is possible because it was 1960. Um, but still, they didn't do it. I think it's just it. meant to be funny. That's how I, I mean, it, it. That like they went through all this and then like they didn't. Right. Get and the okay. Money. I don't it's, know. It is funny. They had the like kind of slapstick thing where they all like look at the next guy. Right. But I, that felt weird because uh, like nobody actually does that. <laughs> it's a little I, cartoonish, yeah. Yes. But maybe in a good way in that scene. Okay. It, it added a little bit of character to a movie that lacked any. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'll take. I'll take anything <laughs> at this point. Um, so yeah, I didn't like. The ending of this movie or anything that happened before it either so <laughs> that that part didn't make sense to me um what i thought they were going to do is have more connection to the military history with these guys i thought the movie was going to be about that in a more direct way because yeah. that's something they dropped in the remake like there's none of that going mm. on they're all just like career criminals yeah and instead it just wasn't about that. Instead, it was about nothing. Yeah, I. What was up with that, right? Because they don't seem very like soldiery, right? At any point in the movie, they just kind of mention, you know, the eighty second airborne, right? Right, and like they all know how to work together and therefore can execute this plan. Yeah. But it like doesn't in any like thematic way or character based way connect them to the military or World War Two or veteran. The, the only status. thing that it lets them. Kind of do, like they have like demo skills, so when they blow up, they sure uh, electrician skills and, and all that. Like I, yeah, I get, that's I, the only like part. Of, yeah, and like that's that, how it functions on a plot level. Yeah, there's no like meaning beyond that. There's no. There's no well, the, the I I thought of this while I was watching the film that they, you know, they would be within a generation of the end of World War Two. Right. Um, but they don't do anything with that. No. Like, it's within living memory that they are. They, they had that very brief conversation where they talked about how, like, peacetime was boring or something like that. Yeah. I forget the exact wording of it. Something like yeah. that. It, it, like, almost got to, like, a good point, but they never go back to that idea. Yeah, similar to the rest the, of the The movie. soldiers have nothing to do in peacetime because they were, like, so prepared for war or all that. They also say at one point during the film that I think Dean Martin says it where he's like, I want to repeal the 14th and 20th yeah, Amendments. And I was insane. like, whoa. Yeah, I was like, you know like, what those he, say? He literally said he wanted to make women slaves or something like yes. that? Yeah. He literally said that? Like, yes. Oh, it's also the foundation of, like, most civil rights, like, yeah. uh, laws. the Equal Protection Clause. And, and he says it, like, right to Sammy Davis Jr. And he's like, yeah, good idea. Yeah, let's like, do that. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> I, like, I don't think you know what this means. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was bananas. Because it's, like, yeah. the birthright clause and... Uh, yeah, it's the Equal Protection Clause, yeah. and it's the amendment giving women the vote. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's what he wants to get rid of, and that's what they're I was like, like, damn, like, I knew this movie was sexist, but that was, like, very specifically and prescriptively sexist. Yeah. Yeah. He just rattled it off, too. Like, yeah. he's been thinking about this. Yeah. Right. He, he had that bit ready. Never mind that it like it was like white nationalists like agreed with that right in, a, yeah. in an unironic way yeah because yeah. here they're like playing it as a show that I mean it doesn't land but it, that's what they're meant to do yeah is he and saying it sarcastically or something like I think so like it's a bit like right he's doing a bit okay. I think but like it's still a shitty bit and, yeah like it's it doesn't really come that, across that terrible people are going to agree with yeah um, and like I think that's the moment. And it's like in Jim Crow era, right? It's yeah. like 1959 when they're making this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like the, there are many people that would very clearly. And segregated those. casinos, as we had said before. Yeah, right. Yeah. In, the, in that moment. And like that's the moment I think when Deep Martin most just looked like a, an old, old man, right? Like, and that he just seemed so elderly, like right then and then kind of never recovered from that throughout the movie. Cesar Romero, at one point, <clears throat> says to. It's Dean Martin's character is the one that he's like his family is connected to. No. Like his mom is. No, no, that's no, not Dean. Dean Martin's the one that's singing all the time. The, they look literally the same. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. It just, he's the dude with the mom. Yeah. That's his whole character. Yeah, that guy, oh, okay. I think that's Pete Lawford. Sure. Okay. <laughs> one point, Cesar Romero says to Pete Lawford, like, are yeah. oh, you like young guys? And like, right. he's like 40. The, <laughs> yeah. They look, they an look ancient old. in this film. Yeah. Like, ancient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is Cesar the, Romero has Romero has gray hair, so he's older, right? Uh, yep. 
I think what it is is that they're yes. all like they are old. They're all in their forties, I mm-hmm. think, when they're filming this, and they're all like really heavy smokers. Yeah. I think every, I I checked a number of of their deaths, mm-hmm. and most were like cardiovascular oh, situations boy. related to smoking. Imagine that. And uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was like throat cancer. Yeah. Oh. Like, yeah. There goes your singing career. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Because I mean, Sinatra stayed active and singing like into the '80s, so, which is kind of extraordinary when you consider like the years of hard living prior to that. Very hard living. Yeah, yeah. like he because he was he was doing like concerts, like big concert halls, like Radio City and stuff like that in the '80s. And, like that's kind of extraordinary, all things considered. After a life of smoking, with life of smoking, I'm sure he did plenty of drugs. Yeah. He drank all the time, yeah. right? Like he, it, it wasn't you know a health conscious era, and he was right in the center of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of extraordinary. If you get a chance, though, listen to like a Dean Martin song, and then listen to a Sammy Davis Jr. song, and yeah. you're like, wow, the the difference is like an ocean of yeah. talent. Like <laughs> D-, D Martin, he's like he's fine, he can hold a note, but it's like his range is really short. Yeah. Sammy good. Davis Jr. is like he can do anything. Yeah. 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 I mean and. Like, I think Sinatra, I, I like Frank Sinatra. I like Frank Sinatra's music, right? Like, I think that you can sit down and listen to Frank Sinatra albums now, and they're still good, and it's still clear that he's talented. Um, but that doesn't mean he can get away with making movies like this. And it doesn't mean that he deserves to be the most famous one ahead of Sammy Davis Jr. Yeah. yeah just a figment of the time, I guess. Yes. Yes, I think that is that is precisely what's going on. Um, do we have any, uh, any closing thoughts on... On Ocean's Eleven, I feel like we've spent a lot of time yeah, beating up on it. This is a challenging film. I don't to... recommend it. Like, I, I don't no. think people should watch it. No, it's not good. Yeah, and I think no. that it, I think if you want Rat Pack movies, like Anchors Away is probably better. Like there are there are better examples. Um, it okay. does have a Saul Bass credit um, at the beginning. Okay. So, so the like intro credits are done by Saul Bass. That's like, yeah, and they were good. He's he's like the credit maestro. He worked with Hitchcock and like he did yeah. the the Vertigo. Did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, ones and these are you know not his best work, but they're pretty good. Yeah, I thought uh, they were good. I so. was like, oh, Vegas stuff. Let's go. I'm ready. Yeah, he <laughs> well, what he does is like he does a good job of like doing abstraction where it's just like dots, and mm-hmm. then like they're able to do the credits, and the dots like look like the lights in Vegas. And yeah, it's like they had a bit of a Bond movie feel. Yeah, yeah, I get that because Saul Bass did Bond movie credits too. Well, he, there you go. <laughs> that explains that. He's, I mean, he's the like guy. Yeah. When, and in terms of like motion and graphic design, he's like the pioneer of that space. And he was very lucky to work with people like Hitchcock and yeah. and Sinatra and you know, all the all the work that he did is is really amazing. Yeah. Um, he even did um I think he did Catch Me If You Can too. Like he has hmm. more recent sense. work. That is that, that's a great intro. That's like an all time great intro. Yeah. I, for I love sure. that movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's another one. Like, that's I, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure you did those. And I mean, there's the great, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that I mean, but Catch Me If You Can. There's another movie that just like does this stuff better, right? Like a heist movie that's about like crafting a big plan. Like, you just put some character in it. Like that has to be the core yeah. thing, right? Like just relying on personality and like texture level stuff is mm-hmm. not going to get you a good movie. Um, so it's kind of extraordinary that this movie has hung around for as long as it has, and that it was remade at all. Like, why? I was thinking that because <laughs> it's not based on like a book or anything, right? So the remake is based on the idea of this movie. Yep. I I don't know if it's based on a book or not. It's, a lot of older stuff is, so yeah. it's like like sneaky that way. <laughs> I remember I, I looked up on like IMDb the trivia section, and apparently <laughs> the director or producer, whoever, got this idea from like a gas station attendant. Uh-huh. At some point, <laughs> and they just like built that up from there to become this movie. So I don't believe it is based on anything other than that. There is a novelization of the uh, 2001. No. Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not going to read that. Um, so yeah, I don't think it is based on a book. I think that's this is when the studios were still making you know original stories and giving them budgets <laughs> uh, for better or worse, as the case may be. Um, but yeah, I I don't really know what moved. Clooney and Pitt and Damon and all those guys to make, to, to dredge this one up, right? To make, remake <laughs> this movie, right? Like they're, I'm yeah. glad they did because the new one's good. Yeah, but it's still strange. Sequels, I could believe, but I think I've seen some number of them. Yeah, and, 
Yeah. How, how, they got up to Ocean's 13 and then went to 8. Yeah, I for think the, so. the lady version. Yes. Okay. Got it. And that's Julia Roberts and company. Right? I, I never saw that one. Okay. It was awful. Really? Okay. I didn't see it. Either. Ocean's 8, yeah. Yeah, okay. They robbed like the Met Gala, I think. Yes. Which is a cool idea. Yeah. 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 Sure. I, <laughs> sure. Sure. I bet that could work. It is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot more to a movie than an idea. Yes, as yeah. we as we learned here. <laughs> um, any closing thoughts, Charles, on, on Ocean's Eleven? I mean, no, <laughs> not beyond <laughs> okay. what we've discussed. Uh, just not interesting, not worth your time. Yeah, yeah. Just I, watch I, the remake. Right. Go listen to some Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. albums, yeah. but just not at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> separately from one another. Um, so yeah, there's better examples of these guys making these kind of movies. And I think when they were younger and kind of gave a, gave a shit more. I was, the um, one scene where we like introduce Sammy Davis Jr.'s that's great. character is awesome. But yeah. it's purely on the bag of his talent. Right, so just yeah. Google that scene. And that's Watch that. all you need from this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. The whole thing. Because um, yeah, that is great. And he just like jumps up, sings a song. It's incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, oh, now we're taking off. And yeah. Like, nope. <laughs> no, <mind>. no, no. <laughs> Got the wrong idea. Yeah, we need one like focused on him. Right. And, like, <laughs> yeah, but this is like pre Cindy Poitier, so you can't have a black man leading a movie. Yeah. Essentially. Um, we should do a Cindy Poitier movie. Have you seen like um, In the Heat of the Night or. Um, I've seen. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Yeah, I've seen that one. Okay. Yeah, that's a good movie too. We should do one of those. Those are good. Okay, uh, well, anyway, we will be back <laughs> in a moment with Things We've Seen. Stay tuned. And we're back with Things We've Seen. This is a segment where we talk about movies we've watched outside of the context of the podcast recently. So, um, Crossman, what have you seen recently? Yeah, so I saw a film in theaters. Uh, it's a film called Destroyer. Well, for me to see that, was it good? Yeah, I liked it. Um, it stars Nicole Kidman. Um, there's an ensemble cast uh, of supporting characters that are also good. She's very good in this. Um, it's a movie that's told in two time periods. Uh, mm. One is, uh, I think, the 90s, and Nicole Kidman is an undercover agent. Um, her her love interest, um, it, a guy named Chris, uh, played by Sebastian Stan, is also an undercover agent. They infiltrate this um, gang that's been accused of like robberies and seems to be planning like a, a bank robbery of, of some sort. Um, and their goal is to, uh, you know, sort of stop the gang from and get them arrested. Um, and then the other half of the film is is that's interwoven um, is the uh, present day, and the Nicole Kidman's character is now an alcoholic. She looks. Awful, um, and like she's she's like her she's just falling apart basically mm -hmm. like her body and life and just everything is terrible and the leader of the gang has resurfaced. There's been a murder and as her like sort of like final act, uh, she wants to like catch this guy and like bring bring him to justice. This sounds a lot like the first season of True Detective. Yeah, it okay. Uh, Which is fine. The first season of True Detective was great. Yeah, yeah. It, the elements of that, yeah, being that like they're the time thing, they're, they're like, sort of like past their prime, right? And, like things are like not going well. Yeah, it's 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 very good. Um, it's it it's very it's it's done in like a clever way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like a little too clever for itself. One of those movies where like they should have cut off like the last 10 seconds and it would have no. been like a better ending okay. 10 seconds um, okay but it's it's really um you know the performance here is really nicole kidman she's amazing um she's like really really in terrible shape like alcoholic and like just an awful person <laughs> and um the things that she does to try and make amends are just like totally fall flat and She's just like an all-around just like failure. So like the one thing that she's focused on bringing this guy Silas to justice is like her only thing that she's like capable of of doing. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a really really uh, gritty film. Mm -hmm. It's a film that definitely makes crime not look sexy. Like it's the opposite of Ocean's Eleven for <laughs> sure. 
Um, it's got Scoop McNary, who I'm right. a huge fan of. Um, he makes everything better. He has a very small role, but he's he's very good in it. He's also in the Greatest Names Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Scoop McNary's a good name. Um, he's... <laughs> Uh, I'm also watching the new season of Narcos, and he's the narrator for that. He's great in that I'm too. Sure he is. Um, uh, Bradley Whitford's in it as kind of this like really jerk lawyer. Uh, he's he's good. So like the Billy Madison character. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's a few other kind of minor roles that are really good. The guy that plays Silas is like very menacing and, mm -hmm. and scary. Um, yeah, the. It's 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 a good film. It's not like great. Um, this is the uh, same team that did the Invitation, which came out a couple of years ago. Right, so the director is uh, Karen Karen Kusayama, who's who's been around for a minute, um, making small but good films. Yeah, that and Jennifer's Body. Which, yeah, yeah. Also um, she, she also did Girl Fight back in yep. back in like two thousand one, which mm -hmm. was the uh, breakout role for uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Um, and it's the mm -hmm. same writing team as the uh, invitation, really, as well. That's so it's like the same like core development crew. Okay, it's not as good as the invitation, um, but it's it's still pretty good. Okay, um, and it's like it definitely like there's a few like hard to watch scenes. Like they make violence like very not cool, and they uh, you, you know it's not like the like perfect robbery heist mm -hmm. movie. It's like things go wrong and they go really wrong mm -hmm. and did the, you did you see um you were never really here came out this year no i heard that was good it's because what you're saying about like it not glamorizing violence but still being very violent or like feeling very violent sounds similar to that movie which yeah was great uh like at one point you see like nicole kidman kind of like get kicked in the ribs a few times and yeah. it's like yeah, like did not look good right like at all green, <laughs> green room or something like that did a similar move i think yeah green room did that even more intensely um <laughs> this is not to the level of violence of green room but yeah that this one's is high <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that one's there's a lot more knife fights than, <laughs> yeah, than so this movie does. Very explicit knife slashes on extremities. Yeah. Hard to watch. Yes. Um, but this one does, like, someone gets punched in the face and, like, their teeth fall out, which cool. is, like, rare for a movie. They, yeah. like, rarely, like, make actors look worse. <laughs> um, and Nicole Kidman looks terrible in this film. She, I, I, I think it's interesting that she engages with that, because, like, when you see her, she's, like, stunning. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but here she can like hardly even walk and like, uh, yeah, and she like drives drunk and like, okay, <laughs> she's a, she has a child. She's a terrible mother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been meaning uh, to see this one and it just kind of I haven't been able to get to the theater much lately. Yeah, but I, I plan to see it. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I like this and I think as like Karen Kusiyama makes more films, hopefully with this writing crew, like there's really good like stuff coming out of this. Good. Um, so I, I recommend it. It's still in theaters. It's, it was at the Angelica in New York. Um, okay, and that they keep stuff forever. So it's <laughs> yeah, this has been out for a minute. I was surprised yeah. it was like still in theaters, but I'm glad I caught it. Okay. Um, it was a, it was a good watch. Yeah, right on. Um, um, I watched a Netflix movie um, called Happy as Lazaro. Um, it is an Italian film that came out this year. Um, also, this uh, is not Happy the show because there's no. a netflix show called happy it's not that it is a movie <laughs> okay. a feature-length film called okay happy as lazaro okay the whole phrase um directed by alice Rohrwalker, whose name I'm, I'm certainly mispronouncing um it takes place in italy on what is essentially like a subsistence level farm like it looks similar to um what's the what's the type of farming where you like rent out your Sharecropping? Sharecropping, thank you. That's the yeah. phrase I was looking for. So it's essentially on a sharecropping farm in Italy. It's the main character, the title character, is this young boy named Lazaro who is overwhelmingly generous. So, like, you ask him to do something, he will go do the thing, he will do everybody's work and no chores for him, and, like, with no complaint, just like a placid acceptance of every request made of him. That plays out in this on this farm where it's kind of difficult to orient when it is taking place. Because it's all of these people that are taking advantage of this very nice boy. You eventually have the people that own this farm showing up. And now it looks like they're driving a car. And it's kind of like the 80s. So now it's not super clear like why this sharecropping farm <laughs> still exists. And then eventually it turns out that the cops show up. And they're like, oh, this style of farming was outlawed decades ago. What are you people doing here? We need to arrest whoever is running this place and set you free. And that is where the movie kind of breaks into its second half 
and these sharecroppers all leave. Lazaro essentially like enters a, a stupor state and just like is unconscious for several decades and wakes up having not aged and all of and tracking down all the people that were former sharecroppers now having aged and living in poverty. So it takes on this kind of magical realist with an emphasis on the realist. So it's like Rumpelstiltskin? It's kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it has that angle to it, but it's also okay. about just like what genuine selfless giving can bring to you and like how that is situated in the world and both how it can be abused and how like awful the world is for taking advantage of somebody that's that just selflessly, stupidly generous. Mm -hmm. And it was a peculiar movie and it kind of moves about in this peculiar space for a while, revealing itself in like unexpected ways and like in surprising like small ways. Um, but it was an interesting watch and, and very good. It has gotten essentially no attention. I saw like one Twitter person talking about it. Never heard of this. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like it, it was it's one of those movies that like will show up on the you know, the deep, you know, bowels of Netflix and be lost to time forever. Um, so luckily there was some critic on, on Twitter that mentioned it and said, like, this is the movie that should be getting attention. So I watched it and it was very good. Um, so it, it's worth checking out. It I don't think it ever got a theatrical release. I think it's only on Netflix. Um, but I, I enjoyed it, and it was an unconventional film, and I think we should you know, all be watching more of those. Um, so the new movie is Happy as Lazaro. It is worth checking out on Netflix, and you know, it's on Netflix, so it's not much stopping you. Um, what did you see, Charles? Anything good? Yeah, I was catching up on some movies from last year that I missed out, uh, and I got around to seeing A Quiet Place. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, like, you know, I have my reservations about horror movies, but this one wasn't really that scary, yeah. thankfully. Um, but I quite enjoyed it. It was very entertaining. It felt like a very smart horror film. Which this, I the scariest thing in the film is the nail. Yeah. 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 And they, did, they set that up so well. I yeah. did feel yeah. like it was maybe a little over telegraphed in the, a way. The nail moment. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, but that's. I that's think it point. builds like the tension because you're like, yeah. oh, it's definitely so, someone's gonna get nailed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, I like how they set up the monsters and how. They kind of smartly deal with it, and like you think they'd be dumb to like get pregnant in this situation, but they have a smart way of like trying to allow that to still happen. Because mm -hmm. it's like, what's the point of living if you don't have hope for the future? I guess, and so they still want to like keep that alive. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard some people talking about that, and um, one of the interesting critiques that I I, I heard was that it, it's like since it's like so family oriented, it, mm -hmm. it sort of like falls into like a very conservative politic or like. No matter what, we must like reproduce, and the, the family unit is like necessary. Well, specifically, to that. the nuclear family unit. Yeah. Right. Like that. Yeah. That's what's fine. It's about conserving your homestead, right? Like it feels so much about like this is my, this is the home, this is the family, this is the space that we use to live, and like maintaining this is the most important thing. Yeah, that didn't occur to me while watching the film, but I think it was like an interesting thought around well, and like, the politic of it, the film because this is uh john i, want, I always want to say jim krasinski john, yeah i know right <laughs> john krasinski his directorial debut he stars in it as well and yeah, uh, it's it, a strong debut it's a very strong debut he's yeah. gonna if he can pick his next project i'm sure yeah and i have a pet theory that he is a secret conservative <laughs> and this movie i think endorses that theory well he's the new um uh, Jack Ryan, yeah, Jack Ryan, yeah, which is like uh, Clancy's CIA boy. Well, he's always trying to do this like soldiery stuff, right? Like he's yeah. in the he, Benghazi movie. Yeah, he was in the, the Michael Bay movie about how Hillary Clinton is evil. X number of hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I have a sneaking suspicion that he's going to have a, a Chris Pratt moment. And we're going to find out that he's actually a Republican, um, <laughs> and that is being telegraphed to us. Um, but the movie works. Like it's a well-made movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they convey a lot of personality from very little dialogue, which is very impressively done. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very smart that they they had like one of them be hard of hearing, and mm -hmm. so then the family is already set up to thrive or at least survive in this environment where you can't talk. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I liked all the safeguards that they set up around their house for emergency situations. I thought that was very smart that they had all this stuff set up and planned. Um, they, someone mentioned that the fireworks setup, they called it the rocket, 
Sure. Um, and it's like a way to pay homage to their son who died at the beginning of the movie. That's true. Uh, because he wanted the rocket to get them off the planet to save them or whatever. Right. Um, so that was a nice little touch. Uh, it's pretty ballsy to kill off a little kid right at the beginning. <laughs> you see it coming from a mile away, but like it's I guess not. from the trailers, you're not sure if they save him or not because the trailers show uh, John Krasinski running after him to save him or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so that's a pretty, pretty that's been a thing to... among horror movies lately yeah. where they have like the one way to amp up the horror is kill a kid because it did yeah. the same thing yeah. yeah well like and that was I very think, effective in it <laughs> I think historically kids have had sort of plot armor in these sorts of movies and so you don't expect that to happen right and so yeah this really heightens the danger it's kind of like what they did with red shirt and Star Trek and that kind of thing right sure it's like we're even killing the kids now so <laughs> nobody's safe so yeah get them off yeah it, it, he's uh, like, although Stephen King figured that out decades ago okay with yeah, pet true. cemetery oh he's one of the best right yeah because um, it's he, he sets up the this directorial restraint just with the premise of the movie and I think it serves him really well that he like is he's foreseeing himself to tell the story visually right like the premise of the movie necessitates that yeah and it work it, it really does work and like that's yeah. impressive to do and like it's almost a good like exercise <laughs> like, yeah. it, 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 I feel like it's good training for just making a more conventional film down the line if he wants to yeah and I think I read somewhere that um, their sign language is more consistent with that of an like an actual like native speaker mm-hmm. um like someone was commenting about how like they're uh like a user of american sign language and they can tell when someone has just learned it and is sure. just using it versus someone who is more familiar with it and they have like a certain dialect almost well, the, wasn't the girl actually deaf yes yeah she was and th- this is probably exactly why it played yeah. out so well this is what happens when you cast you know people with real disabilities yeah people yeah. with actual disabilities and roles yeah like this like yeah but it's also a credit to john krasinski and emily blunt for kind of figuring that out yeah. and learning how to do it right yeah um, yeah so i exactly. find that pretty impressive yeah i no, i agree like that is that was a really good choice and i think one of the stronger things about this movie that, that they did that did this get nominated at all yeah. it should have gotten nominated for like sound design or something at least yeah. right yeah or like, i don't think it did foreign language did. film even no it did not get nominated for that there are rules about what is a foreign language film? I don't think that this would qualify okay. under those rules. That's an interesting way to frame it. I mean, it's American actually. Sign Language. Yeah. But right. It, that's, I think that's probably one. But to most people, it is foreign. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true. Um, but no, I, I, I did enjoy this movie. And that, that last moment where this is a spoiler for the end of Quiet Place, so whatever. But um, <laughs> like when, when John Krasinski dies and like they yeah. have that moment of catharsis, it's the daughter is looking at him through the the window of that vehicle like, that was really effective like, yeah that was that i think that was very very well done um it's so it's powerful it, moment it, right and if he can draw out those powerful moments now at this point in his career directing himself and like uh, i would imagine fairly inexperienced child actors like that speaks well to his future as a director um so i, I hope he keeps making stuff and i hope he finds better politics in the process <laughs> <laughs> but um or i hope he's yeah. just been uh, like misdirecting us maybe maybe he's actually a decent person <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll find out we'll see um but this was a this one was a, a hit for me this one worked yeah um, yeah i enjoyed this movie a lot you didn't find it too scary no okay. uh i mean it's kind of like aliens yes. in that uh there's some intensity to it um but like it wasn't too big on any jump scares or anything truly disturbing or anything like that yeah it's basically a monster movie yeah it, it was very yeah. tense like right i remember right. that mm-hmm. about it and right. the, how quiet it was like added to that so when something Absolutely. loud actually happens it's like well yeah, it's like a stifling silence right? yeah because you know you have to to keep that silence mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so it's it more of a thriller than a horror film really that's yeah that feels it's fair. a little, little mis genre yeah it's also a sci-fi film without being like overly sci-fi yeah yeah Yeah. i I was pretty curious about the nature of the creatures obviously like it's always like it's not the point of the movie but i'd like to know what happened to the world before the movie started right and they don't tell you a whole lot you wonder how the military got overrun by these things i i think i appreciate the focus of it like we we got enough to like get us through this 90 minutes i'm like yes i'm good with that like just keep it tight keep it focused and again a sign of a good directorial choice Right, that he knows what the important thing is. When he knows what he's trying to say. Just enough information about what the creatures are. Exactly. Without, without distracting. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you'd also like uh, this. This film does a good job of like being from like a first-person perspective rather than like 
oh, and then we go to Tel Aviv and Moscow. Right, and, yeah. And see, like, what's... <laughs> it's impacting everybody. Yeah. 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 They, they do a little bit of that with, like, the film clips or the, like, yeah. the newspaper cutouts, but it doesn't, like... Yeah, it doesn't detract. Again, that's like just enough information so you're not like distracted by your lack of knowledge. Like it gives you the context, mm -hmm. but like just enough context. Yeah. And that's that's again good filmmaking. Yeah. Works. And the, the yeah. very last shot makes the Emily Blunt cast casting make a lot of sense because she gets that really satisfying shotgun cocking. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then you see like Edge of Tomorrow Emily Blunt come out. <laughs> and it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I want more action movie Emily Blunt. I, yeah. I definitely agree with that. <laughs> She's so good in, in Edge of Tomorrow. Um Cool. So yeah, I I thought that was a good good pick. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you watched it and liked it. What yep. are we watching next week? Also? Okay. Well, it has been too long since we have returned to the greatest year in cinema, 2007. Um, so there's still more. Oh, there's so much. This is why it's the greatest year. So we're watching B movie. So we're watching B movie. No, we're gonna watch Lives <laughs> of Others. Um, so Lives of Others is a German movie um, that is fantastic and features some of the best of the time German actors at at the top of their game. Um, so. Lives of Others is the movie. It is very good. It came out in 2007, which is how you know it's good. Um, so thank you for listening, everybody. Um, we will see you next week for Lives of Others. Um, if you're enjoying the show, please share it on Facebook, on Twitter, which I will try to remember to update. Um, we're at MCHS Podcast on Twitter and just the name of the podcast, Movies Charles Hasn't Seen on Facebook. Any comments, likes, shares are appreciated. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.